Hello and welcome to another live recording of Linking the Travel Industry podcast, where we discuss travel industry news you are talking about on LinkedIn. We really welcome audience participation. After all, we are here to link the industry. So if you have a comment on any of the stories we discussed today, please raise your hand and we'll do our best to get you on stage. My name is Rian, and I'm one of your hosts today. I am the CEO of Agentivity, where we make it our mission to elevate the service ability of travel management companies through the effective use of data. And I am Anne. I offer consultancy services through LeapShift in the travel and airline industry. I also work as an instructor with both IATA and Aeroclass. Hello, everyone. My name is Ash, and I am the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where we give you only the important updates in under 15 minutes. You can access that at businesstravel360.com. Additionally, I'm the vice president at Traxo, and this is Linking the Travel Industry. The format of this discussion involves around a post I do on a Friday where I've gathered some of the posts on LinkedIn that caught my eye and that I see people are talking about, and then we discuss them on here. So I think we can just kick off with that. My first post last week was sort of combining three stories in one, asking for a bit of a doomsday question where I said, you know, are we heading for another summer of travel chaos? Because there were three stories that caught my eye. One was ongoing rail strikes uh, in the UK. A lot of UK people are being affected by. There's potential pay disputes and strike action at Heathrow. And then there is also this uh, news that I saw about the Department of Transportation in the US, where they've given out, I'm going to ask you for uh, some more information about that, but they've given out some guidelines as to passenger remuneration proposals and that sort of stuff. So just lining things up there for potential mixture of things that, that caught my eye that made me wonder, are we heading for another summer of travel chaos? So Anne, what do you think? Are you a bit more optimistic than I am? I'm not more optimistic oh, than dear. you are. Actually, yeah, actually, this makes my head hurt. I'm so glad I'm not traveling much this summer. It really is worrying, isn't it? And I don't know why, why Heathrow can't get their act together. That really baffles me. It's a disaster over here and it's a disaster in the UK. It seems to be a disaster in so many places. Ash, are you, are you going to add the, the positive element to the story then for us? Yeah, I think the difference, I mean, last year, if you all remember, there was a lot of craziness in the industry, right? And I think that's because people were not prepared. I think that airports and so forth and so on just didn't understand what was going to happen. And so now that that's happened, I think there's experience that's been created as a result of that. What's happening, at least here in North America, is that there's a lot of head start towards summer. And while Memorial Day weekend, which is kind of the summer kickoff here in the U.S., It was the busiest, but there was no major incident that occurred, which tells me that the airports are kind of getting their act together. The downline that are involved in the facilitation of people moving from one city to the city are all in place. And so that's good. But then to prepare for that, the airlines did, you know, they were told to reduce traffic in certain markets. And so they did that. And the TSA has done a few things that are out of the norm in order to facilitate uh, expediency at the airport. So I think people are a bit more prepared than they were before. Yeah, certainly. I mean, and you said you're traveling less this summer. Is that because of this worry about it or just happens to be like that? Generally, um, I really like to stay in Sweden in summer, (laughs) but it's one of those few months of the year when it's really nice to be in Sweden is summer. So that's why I I don't travel much. But actually, you know, Copenhagen has had to, which is my closest airport, has had to cut capacity by 20%, which is huge because there are no air traffic controllers. And yeah, it's just delays and trouble. 
My next story was a post I saw which talked about how U.S.-based airlines themselves, I mean, it, it seemed to be mostly U.S., so American Delta United, they're all investing in more first and business class space. And the actual article I saw was posted by a, a company called North Point Global Transportation Services, and it just talked about how these airlines are investing more in that premium seating, and some are actually removing one or two rows of economy seating to add to that premium seating, basically saying that the U.S. carriers are very optimistic about the premium sort of sales they can do. Ash, do you think that's a wise move? Are they, are they, are they correct to be that optimistic about the premium space? definitely wise to move in that direction. I think the airlines have always assumed certain uh, traits about travelers and they were wrong in this scenario because they always felt that the business class and first class seatings are something that business travelers think about. But then what they fail to see is that if you're a business traveler, you're also a leisure traveler. So once you experience premium cabin, it's really hard to unexperience it, right? If you know what I mean. So you always know how that feels. And of course, with the pandemic, what they saw is that the number of business class seats did not decrease while business travel almost nearly shut down. So they realized through that process that, wait a minute, we do have travelers that are interested in a premium cabin, regardless of whether they're traveling for business or leisure, they do want this service. So now they're expanding it to to cater to a larger audience, which they always had, they just never realized it. Now they do. Uh, I had a comment on that also. I think it makes perfect sense. And uh, let me use that same weird, uh, which we used last time was hybrid. Here the corporates are looking for to downgrade their travel programs from business to premium economy and the leisure travelers want some more extra comfort, you know, so they have to meet somewhere in middle. I've also, you know, this is just a wild imagination I've had is that there may be a time then when, you know, when seats could be just filled in an aircraft just an hour be, uh, before basis on what they, the airlines have sold. Like if they've sold this many economy, this many premium, these many business cars, and you know, they just go and before the flight is under airport control, this may become a reality in the future. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, but I also think people are, I mean, like myself, I look at myself, I'm going to travel less. I'm going to make more out of each trip, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to pack more in. And therefore, I'm justifying that premium seat a lot more than if I did three separate trips as before. So I, I think that's a very common norm. Well, what do you think about that, Anne? Also, I'd like to add that it's very interesting because I think that the, well, the U.S. economy is doing quite well. Job market is doing very well. And clearly, Americans have a lot more money than the average European, I would say. It was very interesting. It was actually in the paper today that the third largest group of visitors to my part of the country here in southern Sweden, the third largest is Americans. And I was told um, the other day, uh, very interesting by a tourism board of a country in Europe that said that, okay, so the number of Americans is smaller, but it's double the spend of that of the Germans, for example. For the transatlantic, that's that's pretty interesting. And yet, you know, Ash hasn't been to visit you, has he? And and we never talked about this, but United just launched a nonstop flight to Sweden. Yeah, they did, right? You're yes. so welcome. Become a visit. Barbecue wait, wait. my garden. Exactly. Going back to the demand and capacity comments that we were making earlier, it's interesting that while 
the airlines are expanding premium cabin, they're not wasting the seats. It's not like they're giving the seats away. People actually buying them, whether it be for dollars or points or miles, but they're definitely buying them well in advance. You don't see that half the first class cabin is empty or anything close to that. They're actually all full to the capacity. So people are buying them in advance. The airlines are, you know, because if you give them away last minute, there's no value created for the airline in that situation, right? You want to get maximum dollars. So I think that the airlines are doing a fantastic job in expanding because I think the demand and capacity are there. And just in North America alone, the demand has surpassed 2019 levels, by the way, by 2% points. And capacity is also increased by 1% points. So business travel is still at about 75% overall. But yet you see huge increases. And I think that this is, of course, some pent-up travel demand. But I think that this is going to be the norm for years. Tay, thank you for joining us. You can do a quick intro and have a comment on the story. Hi, Tay Adui, uh, driver, strategic uh, business development at ADPico. And uh, just to add it to the comment about the changes with regards, with regards to the premium classes, I, I, I'm curious to see if this is a little bit of a kind of post-immediate post-pandemic uh, effect. I'm a little surprised that the airlines are kind of, you know, placing their bets, especially in first class. Not so much business. I think business, I think it's the right move. I think pre-pandemic, there were a lot of reports that shown a lot of airlines were making decisions against the first class and really expanding their business class. And I thought that made sense. And I think that still is in line with the response that we're seeing right now. Again, and I wonder if, you know, a year or two from now, when a lot of these are in full effect, if the first will be as occupied as the business. But I do think, yes, absolutely, with business, that's the way to go. And to Ash's point about, you know, once you go business, it's hard to go otherwise. But I don't know that that argument is as strong from business to first. Wasn't it uh, the CEO of Qatar, was it just this weekend or on Friday, said um, they're not going to apply first class to their new aircraft at all because it just doesn't make any sense. They're just going to stick to a, a very good premium business product. So, yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, and we've noticed, um, you know, for months on this call, we've been talking about this, that airlines have shifted away from first class cabin completely, at least in North America. They've retrofitted all the long haul flight to be all business and they've eliminated first because they're trying to distinguish service between business and first. It was really hard, but now it's much clearer. My next story, I put this in, Ash, just for you, because you were the ones, was it last week, where you said this was somebody in finance that did this airline, and it's not going to it's not gonna work very well. So your favorite airline, Global Airlines, they've actually gone ahead and purchased their first aircraft, and not just any aircraft, they purchased an A380. What's interesting is they didn't lease it, they actually bought it for reportedly about $90 million. So does that give you a bit more faith in the fact that Global might start flying? No, this is not going to go very well. This is going to end. <laughs> this is going to end almost before it even starts. Uh, I can see an A380 turn into a restaurant somewhere on the M25, right? Think about it. You have a choice between British Air, Virgin Atlantic, Jet United, American, and Global. Uh, and what are your thoughts? I, I thought the destinations are a bit weird, right? I mean, New York and Los Angeles. Yeah, I struggle with this as well. But And we can add North actually into that mix as well. I don't, well, they fly out of London as well, right? So a lot of competition. I'm, I'm going to try and get someone from Global Airlines to come and join us next week. How's that? that they may not come back, Rian. They may not come back. <laughs> <laughs> and why does transatlantic always mean New York and London? Like, can it not be like Ohio and, you know? <laughs> But but I agree with you that it's always always New York, Los Angeles, and Miami, right? There's never any variation there. It's very bizarre. 
Ash, did you struggle to come up with another major city name than London? I did, actually. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that That's why I paused that, after that, Ohio. Uh, Ohio and... Hmm. That, <laughs> we that figured answers, that. <laughs> that answers your question. Singapore Airlines is making a bit of a song and dance about the fact that as of the 1st of July, they're going to offer their passengers unlimited uh, free Wi-Fi. They do warn that you won't be able to sort of sit there and stream all your favorite movies, but you'll get access to basic internet services. I have a comment on a story related to this, but so before I do that, Mohit, did you have a comment on the story from Singapore Airlines? So I think it's a great add-on feature for sure. Uh, for me personally, it's like great to have till the time the speed allows messaging, email, or social media access. As soon as this reaches a level where in-flight calls are possible without disruptions, it's a great inconvenience for others. Mm. But I think many airlines are, you know, kind of, you know, po- they have posted about it that Emirates want this, and even Air India is looking to make this available very soon. You know, I I sat on the fence on this with the internet access because I, I hear you. I, I'm not sure I want to be in a plane where it's just all online and all reactive, but uh... I appreciate that some people really need that. My related story to this was just a story from Qantas where they were talking about the fact that they'll offer free internet, but the catch is whilst the plane is flying over Australian territory. So after that, they can't offer it to you for free anymore. And of course, that makes commercial sense. But some of their flights, more than half the flight is actually still over Australian territory before it actually leaves the country. I remember flying, you know, from Australia and you've been flying for five or six hours and you're still in Australia. And that sort of, you know, does your head in. But um, that was their you know, story on it. Ash, where do you sit on internet access while you're flying? My only fear about internet access is that it is one step away from phone calls. And that's where I draw the line. Like, I don't need 300 people on a plane all talking on the phone at the same time. And I think that that's where this is headed eventually. It's not often that I agree 100% with you, Ash, but this will be one of those cases. But I, I'm exactly yeah. the same as you on that one. So absolutely. And where do you sit with it? No, no, no. I'm not with you at all. I think that internet access is fantastic. <laughs> and uh, kudos of Singapore Airlines. Uh, It has been around with other airlines. I was very disappointed to see recently when I flew Norwegian that they only allow 20 minutes of free Wi-Fi and then you have to pay, which I think is ridiculous because it used to be free for all flights, especially when I I think about products like eSIMs. You know, it would be great if you could do that purchase in flight. So guys, let's just take a bit of a break from this session and let me uh, take the time to say thank you for those in the audience joining us today, giving us your time. It is much appreciated. We see some regular faces here and that we really appreciate. So thank you to the regular faces. Michelle just mentioned you. Alex, thanks for joining us. I see Jay, Xenia, Katz. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate that. We have a feature now which we call our link of the week. Uh, this um, session here is all about linking the travel industry and that's what we want to do here. And our link of the week today, and she doesn't know this, is Jade Bell from OAG. Jade, you're a regular face on here, so thank you for joining us every week. We really appreciate that. For the others in the audience, if you don't know Jade, take the time and connect to her. She is here on LinkedIn. You can see her there in the audience, Jade Bell. She works at OAG as a customer support specialist. And uh, connect to her and make sure you are connected. Then you have one more person in your network here on LinkedIn. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate that. 
my next story, we just talked about the Singapore Airlines Wi-Fi and the Qantas Wi-Fi was about United Airlines. Again, doing something uh, with mobiles. They're adding a, a feature. And I, I had to read this a few times to really understand this, but they, they're adding something called live activities, which is actually something part and parcel of iPhone, but also only the newer type iPhones, where you can kind of see uh, updates about your flight status and that sort of stuff without actually opening the United Airlines app. It's going to be sort of integrated into the OS of the phone, so you'll just see it on the screen. They say they're the first airline to feature this. Um, I kind of have to believe them on that one. I have definitely used apps where I could see a status without opening the actual app, etc. But um, Ash, did you read that story? I did. And here we come. Uh, you know, this is just the starting of the entire process. Now we have airlines that are going to watch your movement on your phones, folks. <laughs> They're going to see what web app you open up. They're going to do all sorts of creative things. And just like Amazon and everybody else does as well. So they're not doing anything that's uh, really unique or different. But they're definitely now with features like this, you're going to leave it on. You're going to like it. And lo and behold, now they know you went to Netflix and watched this movie and you went to Amazon. Amazon bought this item, so the fun begins. The fun begins. I'm not so I'm not so pessimistic about that. And what are your thoughts? I'm definitely not pessimistic, and considering that airlines are actually the airline industry is one of the worst, one of three worst industries in the world for digitalization and for for innovation. You know, all I can say is like kudos to United Airlines. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I have to send them a thank you note. And I was the other week when I was in London, I was I was flying back on SAS and and the shock when you know there was another they've obviously suffered another hacker attack today and the website is down and the app was down and you should have seen you should have seen me struggling to to get to get a grip on the situation you know this is fantastic i don't want necessarily different apps for different airlines but i do want the information at my fingertips and yeah. i I really don't care. And considering that they are so bad at retailing and selling me the stuff that I want and need. So yeah. a thank you from Anne and another thank you from Ash. Andy, welcome to the stage. You've got a comment on the story. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, I just wanted to say that Ash is completely wrong about this. The functionality that United are using is called live activities um, and it's part of the the Apple iOS operating system. So it can actually take information about you back to the app. All it is is a, an enhanced notification, if you like, that's updated frequently so that you can keep a track of things like flight status and, and things like that. And I know there's a lot of optimism because for the first time somebody did something. This is nothing new, folks. You know it. Technology-wise, this has been done many times over. But now you just have the airline doing it for the first time. Anne is a little bit uh, sensitive to United because they started flying to Sweden now. So she's got to <laughs> only say nice things to keep them flying there. So she's she's motivated. And Andy just released his new product on Apple. So he wants to make sure they're nice to him too. So everybody's in on it, Rian. Everybody's in on it. So It's you know, a massive you know. conspiracy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're all in on it. And then my next story, Ash, we'll stay with you because this actually was a post done by you, right? This was a story about the ruling about the, the Boeing 737 MAX crash from Ethiopia. Why don't you tell us about that story? As everybody knows, right, we had the horrific events that led to the crashes of two planes where hundreds of people, unfortunately, uh, died as a result of that. And from there came years of fight by the family members of those that 
passed away on those crashes. And every time they tried to move in some sort of direction, they were stopped by the bureaucracies of the government, as well as the power of Boeing. Fines were delivered as an exchange for being able to protect Boeing from lawsuit. So this has been going on for several years. And if you talk to any of the family members, there is nothing but frustration on their part. They're almost becoming forgotten as time goes on in life. People move on. So this that's what's happening with them as well. And now finally, a judge in the U.S. has ruled that the relatives of those killed can seek compensation, not for the death of the folk on those planes, but they've opened this door for suffering of the passengers. This is something that's never been really t- tried because how do you measure that? How do you know that this happened? And this is all a result of the fact that they have said that the passengers definitely would have known that their plane was going to crash in that situation. They would have known that they are going to die. And so that opens that door for uh, litigation to happen. Obviously, Boeing and the government have done a lot of work to protect Boeing from these kind of lawsuits because they eventually could hurt Boeing. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that, Ash. I was, I was intrigued about the, when you say this is the first of its kind. So the, the, the first of its kind here, I mean, it's a bit horrific to think about it, but it's because there was known suffering because the, the passengers were aware, obviously, seeing the flight going down, right? So it's a, it's a macabre but very interesting angle. I mean, who, who pushed for that lawsuit from, from the family side? Yeah, the families have been teaming up together. I mean, at this point, they all know each other really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have all been trying to find different ways because every time they try to do something, lo and behold, Boeing pays a fine and that fine protects them from any further lawsuit. And I'm not saying that this is going to end in, in favor of those family members. It's probably not going to. And any comment from your side? I actually have a, a friend of a friend who was on board the Ethiopian Airline aircraft. My next two stories was um, just investment news. It seems that the investment space in travel and tourism is still quite um, healthy. We heard about, and I have, I've not heard about them, so, and I'm curious to know if you've heard about them because they're in your neck of the woods. But uh, based in Copenhagen, a company called Because, spelled with a capital B and a capital C, they've received mm-hmm. uh, investment of almost half a million euros. Have you heard of them before? Never heard of them. Mm. And... Uh... I was really surprised at seeing that that um, that Booking.com is a customer. But when I read the article, I don't know if you, it, it, maybe it's just me, I'm a bit slow and I am blonde. You know, I, I didn't really understand what it is they actually do do. You are not the only one, but for a company that managed to raise that sort of funds, you would think they'd be able to describe themselves a bit more. Yes, yes. Right? And, okay. and that's actually, I, I wondered a lot about that recently. <laughs> Why is it that so many in press releases are so bad at describing, you know, just, a, I don't want, you know, the, the, the full-blown explanation. I just want a simple use case or some kind of description of what do these guys do? Why, why are they completely inept of doing that? Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Oh, so I, I read it a few times and I read it again before today's mm-hmm. event because just to figure out if I can say exactly what it is they do, but it's something to do with mm. sustainability, it's something to do with uh, OTAs and hotels, it's, it's very hard to tell, yeah. but somebody somebody has thought that's a good enough story to pay them almost half a million euros. Next round of investment, which was interesting, was from a company called Get Your Guide. They've closed um, almost $200 million in equity and credit financing. And very easy to understand what they do. They do, you know, guide-based, you know, destination, you know, sort of services. So have you heard of them, Ash? 
I have actually, and I really, really like them. There used to be services like this before, but I believe the difference between Get Your Guide and others is that they're a little bit more AI driven, is my understanding. So, okay. or they're planned to be, or something to that nature. Uh, they're definitely a great product, and if you haven't used them, um, you should. Have you Have you heard of them before, Anne? Oh yes, and I've used them actually uh-huh. in in Bosnia. I, I really, you know, really, really good. I'm actually so disappointed. I wanted to book. I'm going to North Macedonia. And I wanted to book a, a tour with them, but it's horrendously expensive. But, you know, good for them that they raise some more money. And yes, um, they're really good. And did you have any extra stories on your sides? Please don't get shocked. I'll be really, really fast, but I've actually got four. First, I want to do a big shout out for uh, Ryanair because they've They've had the first role models roadshow in Dublin. And there was a post, there's been several posts about this. I was very happy to see uh, Man Ching from AirAsia resharing and saying this is something that we should be doing at AirAsia. So Ryanair invited 50 female students to um, get the opportunity to interview um, female pilots and female engineers about um, the work at Ryanair. They're going to do this kind of this roadshow next in Bergamo and Stansted, and um, I'm so happy about that. Very nice. Also, you, you must have seen that Wizz Air have introduced the first subscriptions on the European market. So they're going for their subscription program. And of course, being a big fan of subscriptions, this makes me happy. My third uh, story of the, the week is Oman Air, who have launched their NDC program. I thought it was a bit, I mean, we have to chat about this, Rianne, but I thought it was a bit weak in the in, in the sort of advertising um, scheme of things. They just said that the RBD queue is going to be available in their NDC <laughs> uh, program, which I thought was perhaps not the best sort of marketing, but but okay. And I want to say something about that one. Isn't yeah. this not NDC? This is like the anti-NDC commercial. I mean, if you wanted, if you want a textbook yeah. of how not to talk about your NDC program, there it is. So, I yes. mean, that's what I mean when I think the marketing was really not at its best. They should have used some people from KLM or something to do the, the marketing yes. for them. My fourth story, and that's very much linked to what we've been talking about previously, it was by Andy Choi. And I look up his post because it's really, really an interesting read about greenwashing. And I actually didn't know that um, that Greenpeace have actually, you know, now they have now stated that they believe that carbon offset programs are, are is a greenwashing scam. Yeah, I saw that. that. Was me yeah, for the week. yeah, I think yeah, thank you for those very good stories. I want to just quickly mention, Ryan. Did you see the one tweet of theirs which had 4.7 million views at the moment, where it was a customer saying, "Can someone teach me the economics of cheap airlines like Ryanair? How does a 10 euro flight work?" That was her question, and Ryanair just replied to say, "You pay 10 euros and then you fly somewhere. That's how it works." <laughs> <laughs> they Absolutely. are simply yeah. the best. So uh, then I just go back to those in the audience. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we do this every week, so I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Anne, Mohit, and Ash from my side. Yes, thank you, everyone in the audience. Uh, thank you, Andy, for explaining um, how it works. Yeah, and good luck with the app, uh, Andy. I think you made some friends <laughs> at Apple. Uh, thank you all for joining today's session. We host this LinkedIn call every week on Monday, and it is all about linking the travel industry. Please do share this event with everybody that you know. 
Chances are high that if you enjoyed today's session, others that you know will as well. If you cannot make it because of time zone or availability, please remember that this session is always available as a podcast on Business Travel 360. This is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off. Mm-hmm.